Welcome to the Heart and Liver Podcast. A podcast about two guys spilling their guts about God, life, and fatherhood. What was a summer job that we had, and how did it define us? So, John, what was your summer job you want to talk about today, and how did it define you? I worked, what, three, I forgot how many years, three summers or four summers or five summers, I forget, up in Door County at um, Summertime Restaurant, which is no more. Um... What did you do there? I worked in the kitchen. Um, I think the first, I don't, it all blurs together. But I remember that one of my jobs was to make all the salads for the day. So, and then also making salads as they were ordered. Yeah, and what kind of salads were they? Were they like uh, cob salads or lettuce, lettuce salads? Various and then various toppings and sizes and and then I just remember that I would come home and then I would you know say hey this is the salads I learned and then we'd make the different salads ah because you were staying with your relative yeah staying with at first I stayed with Anna was a relative of my our dad. And then it switched to a member of the Wells Church up there. Oh, I Mayburn. Yep, because Anna passed away. Ah. And so then it switched to May Burnshine. I stayed with her for a summer. I don't know if it was two summers or just one. I think it was just one. But anyway, made salads, made salads, worked in the kitchen, did various, you know, kitchen prep work. Um, also, you know, cut up onions for our homemade onion rings. And I learned the restaurant business behind the scenes that um, sometimes you run out of stuff, you run out of food. And so then they called it 86. That was their code word. So when something is 86, that means something is out and we don't have any more and we can't get any more. And so the waitresses have to know on the whiteboard what menu item is 86. Hmm. I guess what I, I, it, it was, I guess a bad example of what not to be like. So there was this one day where I came into work and then. Uh, so it's a family. It was a family-run business where you had the dad owned the business. The son was kind of college student, maybe a little older than I was at the time, um, but he was kind of like in charge of running the day-to-day operations. Worked in the kitchen a lot, and then there's the grandpa who owned a summer cottage up there. Um. I'm not sure how he, I don't think he owned the business. But anyway, so one day I'll come into work 
And they say, okay, come on, pile in the van. We're going, you're going to work off site this morning. And I was like, okay, this is weird. We've never done this before. We've always worked at the restaurant. So we went up to their cabin and we were told to help clean it up the night before or the weekend before. Um, they had a party and there were beer bottles and wine bottles and stuff all over the place. So my job was to help clean up the outside yard while other people were cleaning up on the inside. And while we were there with the son cleaning like mad, the father was at the restaurant talking with the grandpa, preventing him from leaving to get to the cabin. <laughs> so it was the grandpa's cabin and the father and yeah, son was, were working. Right. Their... right. I was like, uh, okay, that was kind of weird. But okay, whatever. I got paid. <laughs> I clean up their mess. Right. And the other thing that I remember was the one day. So one of the summers, a classmate from high school worked with me and stayed with me. And so we, we get there to do our shift and like the restaurant's all closed, locked up. We're like, this is weird. Well, next door to the restaurant, was another, and this is up in Fish Creek, so a lot of the houses at the were converted, and so like the first floor, the next, the house next door to the restaurant was converted. The main floor was like a gift shop. In the back was a kitchen, and that's where they had a retired lady come and bake the pies for the summertime restaurant in that kitchen in the back. And then upstairs was an apartment that the son lived at. So then we had to go over there and climb up the stairs and knock on the door to wake up the son to come and open up the restaurant. And so the son was sleeping with one of the waitresses. Oh. <laughs> so you got to see that. You got to see that, yeah. Um, so that was kind of awkward. And the other thing that was weird was the they had a like a a main chef guy who's was older and he lived in a shed in the back of the property. He was from Australia, so during the summer, which was winter down in Australia, he would come and work the restaurant and then when summer was over, then he'd go back to Australia to work a restaurant down there. I'm not sure how you could make money to, you know, afford that kind of a flight, but, mm -hmm. but he would, he would get drunk a lot in, you know, at, while working, while he's working. Um, and it was kind of, I didn't really work very many evenings because my, most of my work was to prep the salad fixings in the morning so that they'd have enough for the whole day. And then, like, during the ru lunch rush, I would make the salads to order. Sometimes I'd be there in the evening once in a while, and I would see him getting drunk while he's being a chef, cooking, trying to cook. Yeah, and I guess I just earned money and stayed with older people. And So how did that, I mean, 
obviously you weren't one of those guys that did a lot of drinking. So was that, right. I mean, the other people noticed that is they, Oh yeah, they did. Cause they would have drinking parties for, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's at that cabin that we cleaned up or somebody else's, you know, and I would always decline. Um, they didn't really, they're like, okay, well, you know, too bad for you kind of thing, but not, I wasn't really ostracized or anything or looked down upon because of it. I was a hard worker and quiet and just did my job and learned from the chef. And I did cut my finger there. I still have that wound on my hand, a scar. What did you do to your finger? You nicked your finger? I cut it. Uh, Um, So I was using the slicer machine to cut meat and my finger got too close to the blade, I think, while I was cleaning it and uh, cut in there. I didn't go to the hospital or anything. I just kept a tight bandage on it, and it just healed with a scar. I guess what what it – the experience was that it – how it defined me was that the, you know, sleeping together with the, the, the sun, sleeping with the waitresses, and the party and cleaning up after the party – that, you know, that we're, as Christians, we live differently. And we don't have, we don't, we don't participate in the parties. We don't participate in the sleeping outside of marriage kind of thing. So we're different. And we're more of a minority than we think. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's okay. Yeah. You no, know, like, it's okay that... The other coworkers at the restaurant thought I was a little weird for not drinking, partying. But for the son, you know, he was embarrassed that he didn't show up. You know, if he had shown up to work and opened the restaurant, we would have never known he was sleeping with that waitress. Mm-hmm. I mean, we maybe would have seen like signs of affection in the restaurant, you know, and in, in passing. Were the waitresses doing that to to get ahead so that they would get better tables, or was it just no, no? I think no, they were just they were no. They I think these two liked each other. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because there was like a head waitress who assigned tables. Ah, okay. And this the son was didn't he was in the back all the time. Okay. And then the dad was in the back office. Doing, you know, ordering things and taking care of vendors or whatever. And then he would come out and he would socialize with the customers. The dad would come out and socialize with the customers. And then some of it too was there wasn't a closing time. You know, it was your shift was whatever time till close and close was when everybody went home. So sometimes I think sometimes the owner went out to socialize to keep the people longer. So they'd buy more, get another round of drinks or whatever. Um, So you still had to be there even if you weren't technically making salads. Yeah, if my job was like dish. Sometimes I was dish. So then I had to stay until everything was shut down and then we cleaned everything up. So sometimes I had a dish shift instead of a salad shift. Mm -hmm. I think I started in dish and worked my way up to salad. Long time ago. Yeah, yeah, and that would be the late 80s, graduated in high school in 89. 
I don't know if I did it when I was in college. If I still went up there a couple times when I was in college, I might have. Toward the end. Because then when you had your college job, then. Yeah, I think maybe I think maybe the first year of college I went up there. That was my, been my last year up there, because then I got I worked on campus. Yeah, and yeah. I switched to working. I switched to working on campus during the summer and taking summer classes. Oh, uh, yeah, that's where I met this, your land. Yeah, I was going to say there was this other coworker that <laughs> you found. I, I talked a long time. What's your what, what, what's your summer story? Uh, what my summer story? I was gonna. I was bouncing back between Camp Philip, which is you know everybody has a Camp Philip story, and then mowing the lawn for the church was another one that I did over the summer. Um, and did you ever mow the lawn for the telephone company? Yes, yes, I mowed the lawn for the telephone company, um, and. I, I don't have any lessons from that one, from mowing the lawn at the telephone company, just the fact that, I mean, they it didn't really matter to them how we mowed the lawn. So <laughs> I remember when I when I, we stopped doing it because I went off to college and I would come back and I'm like, oh, it looked a lot nicer when I was mowing the lawn, but uh, mm-hmm. it didn't matter. I mean, the check still came in. I that Mowing the lawn for the cemetery was, I, I, was interesting just uh, making sure all the headstones were always trimmed and just watching and seeing all of the names that are on there, the family names, the you could kind of see a family was maybe more affluent than another family because they would have something like a picture on their gravestone or, you know, more ornate gravestones. And the main, main part about that one is it was my responsibility to make sure that was always done every, every week. And trying to figure out a way to make sure it all got done. Okay, so what's the next one? Next, uh, next job is working at Camp Phillip for the summer, and there's a ton of stuff that I learned from there. You, you, um, you learn about yourself. Like, what can you, what can you take? Uh, I remember it was like the first, first week or so. I was counselor and. I didn't realize just what my what my buttons were, but there was a kid that pushed them all, and I was so, <laughs> you know, it was like I had been there, been a counselor for like a half an hour, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I, and and uh, I remember going up to the dining hall for something, and I I just walked up to my program director and said it was Jay Weekman. I said I can't do this anymore, and I just left. And so then he watched the kids and I just went for a long walk trying to figure things out. And then I came back and then he was very gracious and allowed me to continue. Um, it was a rough week for me. I don't remember exactly. I'm sure Pastor Tom talked to me or Jay also talked to me, but just the whole, you think you're ready for something, but you're not always ready for what life throws at you. You, you don't always know what what's going to really upset you. and and yes, it's a failure, but it was a reminder to me what, what my limitations are and to be aware of your own uh, emotions and your emotional control. Mm. Um, I was pretty quiet for those first couple of weeks. And, uh, yes, I had, you know, been in plays and things in that nature. But, uh, when I went to MLC, I was the only one in the pastor track 
from my high school. So it was pretty lonely. And then, uh, just, I didn't have the network of, of my friends who I went to high school with. None of them came to college. So it was all got to start all over again. So I was pretty quiet in college as well. And plus college was tough. But, um, anyway, I remember it was, uh, there was, they asked me to be in a, a game, uh, not a game, a skit for, uh, morning devotion. And it was something to do with Monopoly. And, uh, and my phrase, I was supposed to say one phrase. And I, th- I think, um, the phrase was like, go away or either that or it was shine on one of the two and, uh, shine on you crazy diamond. And just the way that I would say it, uh, just something just unlocked that I wasn't, uh, uh, shy anymore. I wasn't afraid anymore. Just, I just did it. And I did this part and everyone's like, I didn't believe you had that in you. And, uh, and then, you know, it just, you just build on that from there. So you started to open up from that experience of doing that little skit. Yeah. So I don't, you think I'd done plays for four, four years, but still it was doing it in front of kids who could make your life miserable because you're the counselor and they could tease you about, you know, whatever it was and not respect you. I think it was a lot of that had to do with respect. Um, not, not feeling like I was getting the respect and not, um, and also giving the kids control over how I felt about myself. So if, if I felt they weren't respecting me, then I didn't feel like I was worth respecting that kind of, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So instead of go- going into the situation and saying, I am who I am, the kids don't define who I am. I was going in there saying these kids need to like me or need to have this kind of relationship with me. And, and, uh, it didn't go well, but it went better. I mean, you, you learn about yourself. So do you think the being in those high school years, you know, before you're 20, do we have, I, I wasn't sure who I was. Like to be the most traumatic experience I had, I remember during those years was the bus ride. Ah, right. (laughs) Dealing with the other kids. Yeah. Yeah, Cause did you ever ride the bus from our house in Collins to Manitowoc? Uh, no, I always had uh, my sister driving. Okay. So we were, so we would, the public school bus system would pick us up at our house, pick me up at the house, take me to the public high school. I switched buses and drove the bus from there up to Manitowoc Lutheran. And so that bus ride from the high, public high school to Manitowoc Lutheran was was fine because the bus was practically empty and everybody that was on that bus was all Mantrock Lutheran high school students. So that was fine. And so our route from that public high school to Collins was the most misbehaved bus route in the district. And we, we went through so many bus drivers because they couldn't handle it. Mm. Um, And I remember many times where the bus driver had to pull over and wait for the supervisor to come and the supervisor would ream us out. Um, and I remember 
you know, the kids would punch you and hit you as you walked past in the aisles and I would come home crying. And the other thing was, I remember that when the Manitowoc Lutheran High School bell rang and we were dismissed, we had to bust our butts to get on that bus because the bus was leaving like at 3.01. Sure. Um, because the, because that bus was holding up all the buses for the Valder School District because we were the farthest away. And okay. so they, all the other buses had to wait till we got there so that the kids that were on the Matrock Lutheran bus could go to the various buses and get to their homes. Uh, so there was a lot of pressure there. Like why? There was a lot of pressure to, and so then I would frequently, when we have, you know, bodies growing and coordination isn't always there. You know, I would trip out the door of the school of Manitowoc Lutheran High with my bags, and that was embarrassing. But then once I got my driver's license, then mom and dad let me drive, which was an inconvenience, I think, for them because that was, you know, a car that was gone all day at school. And it's expensive. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Driving back and forth. But I think we always drove. I don't remember riding a bus. From Valders to, or from our house to Valders, or from Valders to Manitowoc. So I don't, I never had that experience. Yeah, those those kinds of things where we are embarrassed, where um, we're figuring out about ourselves, or or we're we're attributing our self worth to something that yeah. we shouldn't attribute it to. Like I'm, yeah. I am somebody because I can walk straight without tripping, or that kids like me at the end of the day. That's, yeah, and I wasn't. That's the wrong wrong place to find it. Yeah, that's a big point. I think that you're making that I wasn't liked in school in high school. You know, I was I was in the minority. Um, I guess the advantage of being quiet is people assume you're smart. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they lumped me together with the smartest kids. You know, the ones that were on the. And that was to your advantage, yeah. Right, yeah. Even though I wasn't there, you know, I was a B student. I wasn't an A student. Yeah, so our self-worth isn't something that is external, but something that is, well, it is external, but it's not in our circumstances. The external is from the word, from who we are in Christ. That's who we are. And um, no matter whether the world thinks we're important or not, Christ thinks you're important because he died for you. And God can use you because you think, I think of, that first year working in summer at Camp Phillip, if once you, you, you make those mistakes, you learn from those mistakes, you become a better person, you learn about yourself, what you can take, what you can't take, you learn the tricks of the trade, you know, you figure out, like for me, mm-hmm. I couldn't hear, so kids could figure that out that first year, you know, mm-hmm. they just have to wait me out or whatever. But then I would tell stories. And I would put kids to sleep. And so it would be, even if a kid who is uh, a little bit troublesome, you know, he would try to wait me out in a story and I would just make the story longer and longer and longer and wait them out. And finally, you know, they would fall asleep. So, or, and the stories were interesting and I always tried to implement some sort of moral in the story. So, mm. you know, just all of those things were, had I given up after that first week of Camp Phillip, I wouldn't have not been the same person today. Um, had, wow. had you given up after seeing your boss, you would not, and sleeping or you'd say, well, I don't want to be in this situation or, <laughs> you know, um, you would not be the same person today where you learned to work hard and to do 
do the job, even if the situation isn't the best or it doesn't do anything for you other than provide for you. You still, it's still a job, right? 